Welcome to Puritan's Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode 8 of An Alarm to the Unconverted by Richard Baxter. Doctrine 3. God taketh pleasure in men's conversion and salvation, but not in their death and damnation. He had rather they would return and live than go on and die. I shall first teach you how to understand this and then clear up the truth of it to you. And for the first, you must observe these following things. Number one, a simple willingness and complacency is the first act of the will, following the simple apprehension of the understanding before it proceedeth to compare things together. But the choosing act of the will is a following act and supposeth the comparing practical act of the understanding. And these two acts may often be carried to contrary objects without any fault at all in the person. Number two, an unfeigned willingness may have diverse degrees Some things I am so far willing of as that I will do all that lieth in my power to accomplish them. And some things I am truly willing another should do, when yet I will not do all that ever I am able to procure it, having many reasons to dissuade me therefrom, though yet I will do all that belongs to me to do. Number three, the will of a ruler as such is manifest in making and executing laws. But the will of a man in his simple natural capacity or as absolute lord of his own is manifested in desiring or resolving of events. Number four, a ruler's will as lawgiver is first and principally that his law be obeyed And not at all that the penalty be executed on any, but only on supposition that they will not obey his laws. But a ruler's will, as judge, supposeth the law already either kept or broken, and therefore he resolveth on reward or punishment accordingly. Having given you these necessary distinctions, I shall next apply them to the case in hand, in these following propositions. Number one, it is in the glass of the word and creatures that in this life we must know God. And so, according to the nature of man, we ascribe to him understanding and will, removing all the imperfections that we can because we are capable of no higher positive conceptions of him. Number two, and on the same grounds, we do, with the scriptures, distinguish between the acts of God's will, as diversified from the respects, or the objects, though as to God's essence, they are all one. Number three, and the bolder, because that when we speak of Christ, we have the more ground for it from his human nature. Number four, And thus we say, 
that the simple complacency, will, or love of God is to all that is naturally or morally good, according to the nature and degree of its goodness. And so he hath pleasure in the conversion and salvation of all, which yet will never come to pass. Number five, and God, as ruler and lawgiver of the world, had so far a practical will for their salvation as to make them a free deed of gift of Christ and life and an act of oblivion for all their sins, so be it they will not unthankfully reject it, and to command his messengers to offer this gift to all the world and persuade them to accept it. And so he doth all that, as lawgiver or promiser, belongs to him to do for their salvation. Number six, but yet he resolveth, as lawgiver, that they that will not turn shall die. And as judge, when their day of grace is past, he will execute that decree. Number seven, so that he thus unfeignedly willeth the conversion of those that never will be converted, but not as absolute Lord, with the fullest efficacious resolution, nor as a thing which he resolveth shall undoubtedly come to pass, or would engage all his power to accomplish, it is in the power of a prince to set a guard upon a murderer to see that he shall not murder and be hanged. But if upon good reason he forbear this and do but send to his subjects and warn and entreat them not to be murderers, I hope he may well say that he would not have them murder and be hanged. He takes no pleasure in it, but rather that they forbear and live. And if he do no more for some upon some special reason, he is not bound to do so by all. The king may well say to all the murderers and felons in the land, I have no pleasure in your death, but rather that you would obey my laws and live. But if you will not, I am resolved for all this, that you shall die. The judge may truly say to the thief or a murderer, Alas, man, I have no delight in thy death. I had rather thou hadst kept the law and saved thy life. But seeing thou hast not, I must condemn thee, or else I should be unjust. So, though God have no pleasure in your damnation, and therefore calls upon you to return and live, yet he hath pleasure in the demonstration of his own justice, and the executing his laws, and therefore... He is for all this fully resolved, that if you will not be converted, you shall be condemned. If God were not so much against the death of the wicked, as that he were resolved to do all that he can to hinder it, then no man should be condemned, whereas Christ telleth you that few will be saved. But so far... God is against your damnation, as that he will teach you and warn you and set before you life and death, 
and offer you your choice and command his ministers to entreat you not to damn yourselves, but to accept his mercy and so to leave you without excuse. But if this will not do, and if you still be unconverted, he professeth to you he is resolved of your damnation and hath commanded us to say to you in his name, verse 18, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. And Christ hath little less than sworn it over and over with a verily, verily, except ye be converted and born again, ye cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Matthew eighteen three, John 3, 3. Mark that he saith, you cannot. It is in vain to hope for it and in vain to dream that God is willing of it. For it is a thing that cannot be. In a word, you see then the meaning of the text, that God, the great lawgiver of the world, doth take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn and live, though yet he be resolved that none shall live but those that turn. And as a judge even delighteth in justice, and manifesteth his hatred of sin, though not in their misery, which they have brought upon themselves, in itself considered. And two, and for the proofs of this point, I shall be very brief in them, because I suppose you easily believe it already. Number one, the very gracious nature of God proclaimed, Exodus 34, 6, 20, verse 6, and frequently elsewhere, where may assure you of this, that he hath no pleasure in your death. Number two, if God had more pleasure in thy death than in thy conversion in life, he would not have so frequently commanded thee in his word to turn. He would not have made thee such promises of life, if thou wilt but turn. He would not have persuaded thee to it by so many reasons. The tenor of his gospel proveth the point. Number three, and his commission that he hath given to the ministers of the gospel doth fully prove it. If God had taken more pleasure in thy damnation than in thy conversion and salvation, he would never have charged us to offer you mercy and to teach you the way of life, both publicly and privately, and to entreat and beseech you to turn and live, to acquaint you of your sins and foretell you of your danger, and to do all that possibly we can for your conversion, and to continue patiently so doing though you should hate or abuse us for our pains. Would God have done this and appointed his ordinances for your good if he had taken pleasure in your death? Number four, it is proved also by the course of his providence. If God had rather you were damned than converted and saved, he would not second his word with his works and entice you by his daily kindness to himself and give you all the mercies of this life which are his means to lead you to repentance. Romans 2, 4. 
and bring you so often under his rod to force you into your wits. He would not set so many examples before your eyes, no, nor wait on you so patiently as he doth from day to day and year to year. These be not signs of one that taketh pleasure in your death. If this had been his delight, how easily could he have had thee long ago in hell? How oft before this could he have catched thee away in the midst of thy sins with a curse or oath or lie in thy mouth in thy ignorance and pride and sensuality when there were last in thy drunkenness or last deriding the ways of God? How easily could he have stopped thy breath and tamed thee with his plagues and made thee sober in another world? Alas, how small a matter is it for the Almighty to rule the tongue of the profanest railer and tie the hands of the most malicious persecutor or calm the fury of the bitterest of his enemies and make them know they are but worms. If he should but frown upon thee, thou wouldst drop into thy grave. If he gave commission to one of his angels to go and destroy 10,000 sinners, how quickly would it be done? How easily can he lay thee upon the bed of languishing and make thee lie roaring there in pain and make thee eat the words of reproach which thou hast spoken against his servants, his word, his worship, and his holy ways, and make thee send to beg their prayers whom thou didst despise in thy presumption. How easily can he lay that flesh under gripes and groans and make it too weak to hold thy soul and make it more loathsome than the dung of the earth, that flesh which now must have what it loves and must not be displeased and must be humored with meat, drink, and clothes, whatsoever God says to the contrary, how quickly would the frowns of God consume it? When thou wast passionately defending thy sin and quarreling with them that would have drawn thee from it and showing thy spleen against the reprovers and pleading for the works of darkness, how easily could God snatch thee away in a moment and set thee before his dreadful majesty, where thou mayst see ten thousand times ten thousand of glorious angels waiting on his throne, and call thee there to plead thy cause, and ask thee, What hast thou now to say against thy creator, his truth, his servants, or his holy ways? Now, Plead thy cause, and make the best of it thou canst. Now what canst thou say in excuse of thy sins? Now give account of thy worldliness and fleshly life, of thy time, of all thy mercies thou hast had. Oh, how thy stubborn heart would have melted, and thy proud looks be taken down, and thy countenance appalled, and thy stout words turned into speechless silence or Dreadful cries, if God had but set thee thus at his bar and pleaded his own cause with thee, which thou hast here so maliciously pleaded against. How easily can he at any time say to thy guilty soul, come away 
and live in that flesh no longer till the resurrection. And it cannot resist. A word of his mouth would take off the noise of thy present life. And then all thy parts and powers would stand still. And if he say unto thee, live no longer or live in hell, thou couldst not disobey. But God hath yet done none of this. This concludes episode 8 of An Alarm to the Unconverted by Richard Baxter.